Hello and a warm welcome to this week's edition of Econoday Unplugged. It's Tuesday, the 24th of November 2020. Mark Penders taking a long overdue holiday this week. So today it's just me, Jeremy Hawkins, here in London. Well, apart from further and very welcome progress on the COVID-19 vaccines, there was good news from the OECD last week, which reported that, in the aggregate, the GDP of its 37 member countries rebounded from its unprecedented 10.9% quarterly contraction in the second quarter, with a record increase of 9.0%, which, it should be said, with the 2021 economic forecasting round now well underway, also offers a tiny reminder to take plenty of salt with this year's predictions. Anyway, alongside the good news came the not so good, specifically that the third quarter recovery was only partial and left the region's total output still 4.3% below its pre-crisis level. And of course, that was before the virus's second wave, if we can really call it that, got going. So where do we stand now? Well, amongst the major economies, by and large, those suffering the steepest falls in GDP in Q2 saw the sharpest gains in Q3. However, this masks the extent to which the recovery has been delivered so far. But we can get an idea by looking at the latest annual growth rates. Not surprisingly, China, which obviously got hit by the virus first and was the first to deal with it, has performed the best and Chinese GDP last quarter was nearly 5% above its level in the same quarter of 2019. Elsewhere, we're still talking negative growth rates, but there are some interesting discrepancies. So while the US economy was just less than 3% smaller over the period, the best that Europe can boast is Germany, which is nearly 4% short. France was down 4.3%, Italy 4.7%, Spain 8.7%. That meant the Eurozone as a whole shows a 4.4% contraction and the UK fully 9.6%. Putting China on one side, in part, the relative outperformance of the US economy probably reflects the importance of fiscal policy in supporting national economies. Just last week, the Institute for International Finance noted that among advanced economies, debt surged above 432% of GDP in the third quarter, which is clearly huge and reflects a whopping 50 percentage point increase from 2019. Now, significantly, about half of this rise is due to the U.S. stimulus. But while U.S. debt is on track to rise some $7 trillion to about $80 trillion this year, Eurozone debt rose just $1.5 trillion to $53 trillion through the first three quarters of 2020. This is still below the region's $55 trillion record high seen in the second quarter of 2014 in the wake of the sovereign debt crisis. Indeed, this follows a similar pattern to that seen during the global financial crisis, when US fiscal policy again provided a much greater stimulus to economic activity than its European counterpart and was duly accompanied by a much stronger economic recovery. Perhaps the Eurozone should try a little harder. Okay, so, so much for then. What about now? Well, this week gives us some useful clues about how the fourth quarter is shaping up. There are some early indications on business and consumer sector activity and how they're responding to the latest round of containment measures. Flash November released so far indicate a surprisingly good month for the US, but another sizable hit to European activity from the current restrictions and again concentrated mainly in the service sector. 
So in the US, the preliminary composite output reading was up at 57.9. That compares with 53.4 in October and a 68-month high. And interestingly, for the sector PMIs, uh, flash PMIs for manufacturing, 56.7 and services, 57.7, were pretty well in line with each other, both indicating another month of solid economic activity. Now, it may be uh, a date a little bit too early to reflect the latest increase and more aggressive restrictions to uh, to really be to show a clear picture. But nonetheless, you know, certainly as far as November is concerned at this stage, it looks as if the US has done OK. Now, for the Eurozone, the flash composite output reading was just 45.1. And that's the six month low. But as I mentioned earlier, wholly attributable to services where the flash sector PMI dropped from October's already very weak 46.9 to just 41.3. So really, we're talking deep in recession territory. Its manufacturing counterpart shed only 1.2 points at 53.6, suggesting that activity is continuing to grow at least a moderate rate. And indeed, by Eurostone standards, that's a half decent reading. Now, obviously, though, looking at the readings right across the region in terms of the, the composite PMIs, only Germany of the Eurozone countries is currently in positive growth territory. So it certainly looks as if the Eurozone, as far as November is concerned, isn't shaping up at all well. UK, well, that came in at 47.4 after 52.1 in October, with services down at 45.8. Um, but manufacturing actually strengthened the, the sector PMI there, climbing from 53.7 to 55.2. So again, the same sort of pictures we've seen right across Europe, really, whereby the services part of the economy, perhaps inevitably, but being hit by the, the lockdowns, which are covering so much of the continent now. Elsewhere, we've got the Japanese flash composite PMI in at 47. That compares with 48 last time. So again, not particularly good news as far as Japanese economic growth is concerned. Um, services in at 46.7, manufacturing 48.3. So both sectors into recession territory, but again, services underperforming. For China, well, we don't have a flash uh, PMI available for November, but at least the steady pickup we've seen there in indications of uh, output and demand suggests that uh, the mid-quarter should be another generally positive month. We'll get additional updates on sentiment from the US and Europe over the next few days. In some cases, these may show an improvement on the back of the progress on the virus vaccine, but lockdown fatigue and uncertainty about the US election outcome complicate the picture. In any event, as we've said before, the real benefits from a vaccine won't be seen until next year. So with a few notable exceptions, global fourth quarter GDP is not looking particularly too good at the moment and growth will almost certainly be negative in some countries. So there's no shortage of pressure on policymakers to maintain very loose fiscal and monetary stances. Now, one reason why OECD GDP is not more than 4.3% below its pre-crisis level is that many governments and central banks very quickly coordinated their responses to the virus outbreak to maximise their chances of success. So it's a little worrying that we have now have a spat between the US Treasury and the Fed over the former's demand that the central bank return some 455 billion of funds provided by the government to backstop the Fed's emergency support programmes in certain markets, including the Main Street facility. Now, these facilities may not be especially important 
important at the moment, but they do provide a safety net at a time when the outlook for US fiscal policy in general has become very clouded and the Fed quite clearly is not at all happy. In Europe, the fiscal stimulus to date has been driven by national governments, but hopes were high that the EU Commission's 750 billion euro COVID rescue plan would be up and running in time for its proposed launch in January. However, this too now looks uncertain due to disagreements about tying the disbursement of funds to the rule of law standards. Hungary and Poland in particular are both still refusing to sign off on the plan and being the EU, all 27 countries need to do so for it to go ahead. As it is, the IMF is banging the drum about the consequences of withdrawing fiscal support too soon and has called upon governments in general to turn to coordinated infrastructure spending to keep the recovery going. So from a market perspective, problems with fiscal policy may be seen as requiring a monetary policy solution. And there is now speculation about possible additional easing by the Fed to make up for the lost emergency lending programs even as soon as its next meeting on December the 16th. And there's an even more solid conviction that the ECB will ease again a week earlier. For the Fed, that may be a little premature. It's already buying, what, at least $120 billion worth a month of mortgage-backed securities, and yet more QE is hardly a perfect substitute for a credit market backstop. However, for the ECB, which in meeting after meeting has emphasised and really stressed the need for more fiscal help, the EU Commission's current impasse may well strengthen the position of the doves, Christine Lagarde, the ECB president, included. As far as the Bank of England is concerned, well, at this stage, they're pretty well still playing ball with the government. And um, of course, we saw the central bank ease its stance and by more than expected earlier this month. All that said, the law of diminishing returns already seems to apply to quantitative easing in general. And despite what the central banks might say, there's not much more that monetary policy can really do to keep the recovery going. Debt may be ballooning, but fiscal policies need to keep their nerve. Okay, that's probably more than enough for me for today, but I can't close without mentioning Brexit. So if there's anyone still listening, it would seem that both sides are now much more optimistic about a trade deal being agreed for January next year. So that's after the current transition period has expired. Your operative word here, of course, is seem. But while we've been talking about this for, well, it feels like a lifetime now, there may be some good news to emerge over the next few days. So keep your ears and eyes open because it could yet move markets significantly. Okay, so that really is it for this week then. Mark will be back next week alongside our Sydney-based economist, Brian Jackson. So please do join us for that. In the meantime, for those looking forward to Thanksgiving, have as best a day as you can in these difficult times. And while US may be closed, you can always keep up to date with all the key data and events elsewhere in Economy's global economic calendar. Thanks very much for listening. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Bye for now.